There you have another episode of Straight Out of Combat Radio, audio medicine by Green Zone Hero. This veteran story is one of a lot of highs and a lot of lows and not a lot of in between. And that search for balance and moderation came with a price. It's a story you want to hear. Many of us have been through similar things. We definitely can relate to it. This guy is very, very cool. Mr. Mike Frazier. Your steely-eyed killer shadow in the night You were born to fight You gotta light them up My name is John Krotek, and I want to welcome you to Straight Outta Combat Radio, audio medicine by Green Zone Hero. We're here to honor the wisdom of America's most valuable asset for combat veterans. We're authentic, we're empowering, we're American. Our guest for this episode of Straight Out of Combat Radio is Mike Frazier, a combat veteran with over 10 years of service in both the U.S. Coast Guard and the United States Army. Mike says he's learned a lot from working with the federal law enforcement agencies and the special operations communities. His time in the military came to an unexpected halt due to a back injury that he suffered while on duty. We'll hear more about that. By his own admission, as with many others, post, and I quote, post-traumatic stress and depression tried to swallow me and bury me, unquote. However, his trained mindset of night stalkers don't quit kept him going. And we're glad he's, he's still going because he's got some interesting things taking place right now. Mike's new mission in life is to share a bit of his struggles to help others that are lost and to help them find some clarity and change their mindset to live their lives to the fullest. Mike created Noble Warrior in hopes of reaching some of those lost veterans seeking a way out of their own abyss. Welcome to the show, Mike. Honored and humbled to have you here, brother. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate you having me. I really do appreciate it. Awesome, man. So let's let's get right to it. Tell us about the Frazier household, you know, where you grew up. Did you have military in your background? What was it like in your family coming along? I was introduced to this world in uh, chaos, uh, actually. Um, my childhood started off pretty wild. My father was served in the, in the military in the Army for a little while. He did a short stint, and uh, he was an actual um, honor guard, and he did the full dress-up garb of the White House. So he was one of those dressed-up guards, uh, the, the honor guard that uh, guarded the White House and the president, and uh, did a little bit of time doing that and came back. And uh, he struggled a lot in his early years with uh, alcohol. And uh, it kind of created a lot of chaos in the household as a child. So that's kind of what uh, started my, my childhood as, as far as that goes. Is your dad still alive? He actually passed away a few years ago. I was able to reconcile with him uh, from, from my childhood through some adult years of my life. I had a lot of questions. A lot of weird stuff went through and a lot of things growing up, having to learn survival techniques as a child just to kind of get by in life. Not really fully understanding, being angry, having a chip on my shoulder, resentment, you know, all of that stuff was able to come around full circle and actually have a good relationship with my father. Over time, people change, things change. He asked for forgiveness. You know, I asked him for forgiveness and we, we were able to have a really good relationship. And I was able to have my father for a while before he actually passed away of cancer. He was a, a boiler maker for a long time and he smoked for quite a while. So 
pretty sure that didn't help out, but he, he lost his battle with cancer and it, uh, it took him away. But I was definitely very blessed and very fortunate to have that, be able to swallow that pride and, and get that relationship back with my father before he passed. Well, you know, thanks for sharing that. You know, sorry about your dad. My dad's gone and, and, you know, and I'm glad that you were able to cement or make your bond even stronger. And you're so right, Mike, you know, when we're growing up, man, we're clueless and and we can struggle. And it's those people around us that we look to. So who were your mentors coming along? And tell us a little bit about how you got to the military. But but who 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 did you look up to when you were when you were a younger guy? Oh, when I was a younger guy, going through an early childhood, I went through a gambit of uh, child abuse from my stepmother. My dad worked so much that he never really was around, so he didn't really see it or pay too much attention to it. So I was pretty much in survival mode. My heroes were kind of fictional characters like uh, like Rambo, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Sylvester Stallone, the guys that I've seen on TV doing the cool hero stuff. That's That's what I liked, but I just... I, I never really saw myself as a young kid being in the military or even doing anything until way later in my, my later teens, I was able to live with my mom, move in with my mom when I was 10 years old. From when I was 10 years old to 18 years old, I lived with my mom and my stepdad, and my stepdad became a good role model for me. He was a great man, took great care of my mom and, and myself. He, he really wanted the best for me and made me strive to become a better person. And he was in the military. He was actually in the Army. Seen some of his trunks and some of his stuff that he would pull out as we were moving, pulling out some of his army memorabilia. And I got to talk to him about it. And I was always interested in it, but he never really spoke too much of it. And uh, he was never in any big conflicts, but just him being in that just really intrigued me. And I didn't really fully understand until I went into the military myself, but people like him, family members that would always, you know, take the time to just give me time of day or to just acknowledge that I was alive. And those are the people that I looked up to because I seen a heart and passion in, in people like that because my childhood, I didn't have that. So that really kind of helped make me become a better person. And as I progressed through my teenage years, I wanted to become something more than where I was at. I was living in a small town and I knew that there wasn't much there for me. So I, I wanted to travel. I wanted to move. And I knew that the military was it. So I was very unique and different. I loved being different. So I wanted to join the Coast Guard because I didn't really know many people that joined the Coast Guard. It was completely different. It was my own thing. And I can just do that. So that's what I started off doing in the military is being in the Coast Guard. So where did you go for your Coast Guard training? My Coast Guard training took me to Trace and Cape May, New Jersey. <laughs> Which is, tell us about that place, man. And what was that training like? <laughs> was it a, like a, a slap in the face when you got there? Tell us about it. You know, it was it was definitely a culture shock. It was uh, something new, uh, just like any boot camp, I guess, for, for a, a new young man or woman going into a new chapter in their lives. But my really, uh, aside from uh, like school and colleges and doing things like that, it was like the first time I'd really ever been away from from home away from my mom and stepdad and my comfort. So it wasn't quite as physically demanding as I was really anticipating it to be. However, don't let me downplay that by any means because, man, they really put in some work. I definitely uh, grew and I did a lot of calisthenics, a lot of push-ups, a lot of running. You know, we did our swimming, our training, all the basic stuff we did. But it was 
it was really mentally challenging. And fast forwarding a little bit, going through the military, I went through a mini boot camp for the army because I'd already been through boot camp. So I was able to tell the difference of the mental capacity and the training and the, the like the just the mental toughness that the Coast Guard puts those people through for their training in their boot camp. It's 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 pretty significant. So I learned a lot. It was it was neat and scary at the same time. But it really forged me into a, a whole new kind of uh, uh, person to kind of really go out into the world and, and just kind of really start finding myself and gave me the tools and the strength to to really be able to do that. So you graduated in the Coast Guard and then you went into the into the Army. How did that work? And when you graduated, who showed up for your graduation? I did uh, four years with the Coast Guard. And after I graduated boot camp there in uh, Trace K. May, my stepfather was supposed to show up, but my mom had some inner ear issues. She wasn't able to make the flight, so my stepdad made it. And I was able to hang out with him and chill out with him, and he flew me back to Arizona, which was where I was from. So I got to uh, kind of bond a little bit with him. That, that made it kind of cool. I think I, I got a little bit more respect from him, him seeing that I was there, you know, becoming a man yeah. and I was able to kind of, you know, do the military thing. And that, I knew that. So it just, I, I was just radiating. I, it, would, it just made me feel really good. And I felt like I was taking the right steps in life. But after that, I went to school to become a machinery technician to work on boats, diesel engines, turbine engines, gas engines, everything on board a ship or a facility to be able to help take care of the maintenance side of things. That's what I went to school for. And I immediately from that school in Yorktown, Virginia, I went to Astoria, Oregon, which was my first duty station on a boat, the buoy tender called the cowslip. Hmm. What was that like? Tell us about that. And, and let me ask you this, you know, can you think of any one instance? Well, actually tell us about the cowslip. <laughs> <laughs> the cowslip was a, it was a, the only boat in the billet for the school that uh, was available and everyone else uh, wanted to be on well, like a small station, small unit station, small boat station on land and I wanted to get out and travel. That was my thing. So I got on this boat and it was pretty small. It wasn't, it wasn't a big boat by any means. Like the most we would go out is like two weeks at a time. And this boat was designed for aids to navigation. So this boat was designed with a big crane in the front of it to go pick these buoys up in the middle of the water in the ocean, pull them up, fix them, clean them, put them back in the water. You know, heavy seas, I mean, it was kind of a small boat. So crossing the bar in the Columbia River hmm. was pretty tough. There's pretty brutal uh, waterways right there. They actually have a small boat station there called Cape Disappointment. That's where they train all the motor lifeboat guys, all the 47-foot uh, guys to roll through the water. And, and the train is, is pretty, pretty gnarly stuff. Life on that was... It was different, but it was it was really cool going another way, working on making sure that the boat was taken care of, working, running right. 9-11 happened just recently after I was on that boat, 2001, and I was actually on the boat in the middle of the water. We were doing some, uh, some buoys, doing some work, and I woke up in the morning, and we were watching the satellite. It was kind of pixelated, and everything came. Everyone was just silent. It was kind of eerie, and that very, very very exact day, everything completely changed, not only for the world, but for me and us in the Coast Guard, our mission statement, our mission set was completely just, it was shifted. We went from doing only buoys and, and doing small ace navigation stuff to doing that plus security. 
and we had to put boats together, travel up and down the coast of Washington to California. We had to go to law enforcement schools, do different things. And that's when I started getting into the law enforcement aspect of the Coast Guard. I wound up going to a tactical law enforcement detachment team in San Diego because that boat got retired. It was one of the oldest boats in the Coast Guard inventory at the time. So they sold it. And I went to San Diego to do law enforcement full time. It's pretty interesting. You know, one of the things that you pointed out, like with yesterday being, you know, 9-11, you know, everybody mm-hmm. does remember where they were at on that day, If you, especially if you were alive yeah. and, you had any, and you had a television set nearby. But, you know, and, and I wasn't in the military when that went down, but, you know, it, it did. It shifted the mission in so many ways. And and the world, quite honestly, has changed since nine one one. You know, nine eleven. It's it's absolutely it's definitely not the same. I, I you know I've talked to several people that have said you know it just it gave them a very tainted view of the world, and you know to see that type of hatred, something like that take place yeah. with so many innocent people, you know, losing their lives. And I I don't know what you did yesterday, but I'm I'm sure you were somewhere where you saw a ceremony or an event, but that was pure evil. And there's no other way to describe it. You know, we don't want to get political, but we do know what happened and how it went down. And the last 18 years, we've been at conflict because of it. Yeah, it, it, it was tough. Uh, you know, social media feed was just filled with, you know, just memorial kind of type things and people posting stuff at the towers and seeing the videos of the airplanes and, you know, the people jumping out. And it just, and it just, it crushed my soul. And it was, um, I ran through, I put a post about it on my social media and it was, it was, it was, I ran through a gambit of emotions. I think probably just like anybody, just like you, and, you know, I was angry, I was upset, so much hatred, so much anger, so much bitterness. And I just, I stepped away from, for the most of the day of social media. And I was just really thinking and, and uh, kind of reflecting on everything in life with that and what today meant and, or what that day meant and what it did where it has brought me, where it has brought me, you know, the entire world. And I kind of came to the conclusion that, you know, what you focus on is, is, is a mindset. And, you know, what, what you focus on is, is, is huge. It's imperative. And if you focus on the bad, all you're going to see is bad. Obviously there's a lot of bad, horrible things that happen. That is one of those events. However, there are good things that come out of certain stuff. I kind of went back to the the aspect of the other side of the glass, I guess, if you will, is looking at what that brought, what what happened after that, you know, and the world became more united. The United States became more united and more, um, it felt like it just meant more. And people were coming together just out of the blue, out of the woodwork, helping each other out. And it was just, it was really neat. It was very surreal. And it was just a moment where, you know, I definitely wish we would be more like today for sure. But a lot of things changed. You know, people lost loved ones. People lost family members. People went through hardships. People got ailments. People, you know, got deployed. But at the same time, I was kind of thinking of where that took my life and how that affected me as far as, you know, where I'm at now and what steps I took in my life to go towards, you know, doing something about that. And, you know, I I definitely wouldn't be here today. Uh, You wouldn't be where you're sitting at today if that didn't happen, because we'd be in a different place. Things wouldn't be where they are, obviously. But, 
you know, looking at more of the, of the, of the better things, the better outcomes, instead of focusing on the hate and the evil, you know, focusing on the things that did come out of it, because, you know, all storms don't last. And, you know, sometimes when the, when the sun comes up and starts shining down on all that rain, you get a lot of green grass and you get a lot of fruit and uh, life can become beautiful. And uh, it's just everything takes time, especially when big things like that happen. And that was just one of those moments for me where I realized, you know, my mindset is is a completely different place than, than what it was before. It's, yeah, it's definitely a good way of looking at it that, you know, if you do focus on the negativity, you know, you'll stay there. And if you don't, you know, and you, I know you, you're a big mindset guy because I've read your things and, and seen how you operate. And it is about the mindset. We're going to get to the Night Stalker mindset. But let me ask you this. So you guys change mission. The view of the world's different. People are pulling together. Americans, we did pull together. And, and how long were you in the Coast Guard after that? Because I know you made that transition into the Army. After I, I did I did four, I, I did uh, just like a little over four years of the Coast Guard. That was my initial thing. And uh, I decided to get out and try to go back to school. And uh, that's why I really wanted to get out and travel the world, see things and do stuff and, uh, you know, go to school. That's what I wanted to do. I had my heart set on it. And I did that. And I was out maybe almost two years. And I was just like, man, I, I really, I really want to get back into it. I still feel like I got something more in me. So I wound up joining the army and a completely different job, completely different mindset, completely different set of rules and everything. Army, I went from being in the water on boats, working on, you know, diesel engines and crawling around in bilges and salt water to, you know, turbine engines, helicopters, rotor blades, you know, stuff like that. And uh, just completely different. So you were out for a couple of years, and then when you went back in, you knew you were going to get deployed because we were obviously, you know, involved with this global war and terror. And where did you go for your uh, for your army boot camp? My army boot camp, I did a, I did kind of like a, uh, since I already had military service, they recognized that I was able to keep my rank, and I I was able to do this mini boot camp at like two weeks at Fort Seal for in processing. Then we moved to. Uh, White Sands Missile Range for, you know, movements, chain of command, you know, how kind of how the military customs and courtesies, just learning Army stuff. And then after that, my first duty station was 3rd ID in Hunter Army Airfield in Savannah, Georgia. And they were already deployed when I got there. So I had to in process there, in process there and head overseas to uh, Baghdad International Airport is where uh, we, we wound up. So tell us about that deployment. What was it like? Tell us what happened when you got to Baghdad. I, I guess how you look at it, fortunate or unfortunately, um, I got to actually deploy with the Coast Guard to uh, Iraq, that, that area. And I, I spent a, a small stint with a law enforcement detachment team over there in 2003. And uh, we spent some time doing patrolling waterways up around the, the Umkasar area, the Tigris and Euphrates River, you know, coming back from there. So I was already kind of inundated with it a little bit. I had a couple months there. But going back over there in the Army was completely different. Honestly, I, I try to tell people it was. It's, it, there's a lot of similarity to, similarities to prison life. You can't really go anywhere. I was a mechanic that I maintained the helicopters. I wasn't a crew chief at the time when I first started. And I just I went to work at the hangar on the airfield when I worked on helicopters. And then I went back to my tent 
And I think we had like a 10 man tent and uh, it was hot. It was miserable. We ate at the defect. We walked everywhere to go to the bathroom, to take a shower. There was nothing really pleasant about it. But thing was to listen to music, try to email home, make phone calls whenever you could and just staying busy. I mean, you're constantly working. That was, that was it. Was there anything in particular that was just surreal that you saw there well on your deployment? Was there anything you went, holy cow, this is really happening? When I first got there, everything started to sink in with the, just the mundane kind of everyday, you know, wake up, go to work, come back, wake up, go to work, come back. And then every once in a while, because we were at, at the airfield right there, incoming rounds, mortar rounds and stuff like that would be coming in all the time. And that was like the closest to action that I had seen at that time up until then with the Army, their Baghdad International Air, Airport, no biop. And everything from there changed because I became a crew chief and I started flying and I started going across the wire. I started doing missions with, with helicopters now, working on helicopters, getting them ready and then crewing with them, being a gunner and seeing the, the world, you know, in a gray green hue, you know, it, it kind of changes perspective because at nighttime you can see all the traits around, you can see the rockets coming inbound, you can see a lot of the stuff at night that you can't really see during the day. So there was a lot of differences. Also, the immersion layer in the desert, when it gets hot, it cools down, that heat goes up just high enough to where you are in the helicopter. So <laughs> we never really got to escape from the heat. And it was, I used to actually have nightmares of that. Uh, that was like one of my bad things for a while when I was struggling with a lot of stuff is being in a helicopter, sitting and not really feeling like we're moving or going anywhere. And it's just hot and miserable. And it just feels like we're, we're flying for hours and days and days. And it's just like uh, Groundhog's Day. And that was kind of the going theme there is just you can't get away from the heat no matter where you go. What kind of helicopters were you guys primarily using? I was trained in accruing Black Hawk helicopters. So there, we had uh, multiple uh, helicopters there on the airfield with us. We had uh, the Kiowas. We had the Apaches. We had the, the Chinooks there with us right there on the airfield. That was kind of like what 3rd ID had in their inventory with us. But my focus was on the Blackhawks, and that's what I was trained on, and that's what I crewed and, and worked on. I didn't realize that. So it was, it was Army Aviation. Can you think of any one mission in particular that, that was a close call for you guys? When I was with 3rd ID, it's kind of funny. One of, my, one of my beginning, one of the first times that I really actually started to see how things were at night, uh, seeing tracer rounds coming from the ground, small arms fire, seeing you know rockets flying up in the air. I'm kind of freaking out because that's the first time I've ever seen anything like that. Helicopter, and to me, just seeing it coming towards where we were at was enough for me to be like, hey, you know, I see the stuff coming on and I want to alert the air crew of what I'm seeing. And they're kind of just laughing at me because it's far enough to wait, far enough away not to be concerned about. Um, so here I am, this cherry new guy, uh, calling out all this stuff that's far enough away. But when I initially started, they started calling me rocket boy at first because, uh, I'm, I'm calling all this stuff and I'm noticing all this stuff going around and I'm just, my head is just swirling around. I'm like, man, what is going on? You guys don't even care about it. But over time I realized, uh, that it's an everyday event, you know, that's all the time and I can't. Um, be wasting time looking at and be bothered by stuff like that if it's not close enough. And I learned what close was, absolutely. <laughs> and um, I uh, 
once I came back from that deployment, that big deployment, I went and assessed for um, the special operations side of aviation. And uh, that's when the, the missions got a little different. So you did that first deployment and then you obviously you made it back safe, which is a darn good thing. And, and then you then yes. you went back again. Yes, I went back multiple times. I've been deployed multiple times. Yes. So, and then most of those were in special operations types of missions? Yes. Which got, was it the same type of helicopter you were on, the Blackhawk? They were the Blackhawk. They were just different, um, different, uh, different body styles, different equipment, different missions. So that was primarily Iraq or did you do Afghanistan too? I had a short stint in Afghanistan. I didn't fly. I just uh, was some support, but uh, my, my time uh, crewing um, and combat time was, was primarily uh, in Iraq. Uh, we did some training missions down in South America and some other um, Caribbean areas. Um, but um, our, our, our mission set where we were at there at, uh, at Hunter in Savannah was, was Iraq. Well, you know, I was always fascinated by the helicopters. Of course, I didn't see them in combat. We were always, you know, at NTC when we saw the helicopters, but could never it was always like holy cow and the ones that i had the opportunity to get on it's like these things you wonder how they even fly so you know great tribute to all those pilots you were with and to you as the ground crew and or the air crew so multiple deployments tell us about your injury and, and how what led to your injury and and and, they, and again in such a dangerous environment what kept you focused i've done a lot of stuff it was all kind of uh I guess kind of looking back at it right now, it's all just kind of like a, a big whirlwind of, of stuff because I went through quite a bit in a short amount of time. But my mindset, I guess, just keeping my mind focused on the mission is um, I think one of the big um, killers for marriages and relationships in the military right now um, is, uh, you know, once you go over there and you put your gear on and you put your visor lens on your helmet down or you slap your goggles down and you turn that battery pack on and you see the world through that gray hue that green hue um everything else shuts off you can't think about stuff you can't be thinking about the bills at home you can't be thinking about you know your babies and it sounds crude it sounds mean it sounds rough but you can't um focus on anything other than what you've been trained to do what are you doing right now right now and what you're going to be doing for the next 10, 15, 20 minutes, you know, what are you going to be doing when you're infilling? What are you going to be doing when you're exhaling? What are you going to be looking at? How are we going to get these boys here? How are we going to get them out? What are we going to do for fuel? Watching the fuel, you know, um, there's so many different just micro little things that you have to compute and think about. Um, you got to, the home life, it, it, it can't, um, Unfortunately, you can't be thinking about bills. You can't be thinking about your truck. You can't be thinking about your toys, you know, the family stuff. And that's, it gets really tough because multiple deployments coming back home, you know, you're there and they, you know, your family misses you and they're like, Hey, you know, daddy's home. Let, let's go do stuff. And your daddy's like, you know, I'm, I just got back. I, I want to relax. I want to kind of take it easy. And, you know, just over time, you just get numb and you're numb and you're numb and, and you know, it, it, it becomes uh, more difficult, I guess, really to establish more of a, a standard baseline for, um, you know, 
when to flip that switch, when not to flip that switch. And when you do flip the switch, what are you thinking about? You know, are you thinking about work still? Um, you know, and for the special operations community, the up-tempo is just insane because you deploy and you come back. And I was gone for multiple years, at least, you know, 250 to 300 days out of the year. And that's for training. You have to be current. You have to train your guys. You have to do things. You have to try stuff out. And, you know, that's not to mention keeping yourself in shape to be able to do these things, keeping the helicopter intact, you know, and, and then there's family. So there's so many different aspects of things going on. When you're in a high up tempo um, community like that, it's very, very easy just to get burned out. And I found out that there wasn't enough information for me or enough understanding for me to even know what was going on with myself to, to really ask for help or to do anything. And I think that that's, um, a big part of kind of where I, I want to go now, but kind of going back to it, that special operations community, it's, it's, it's very high up tempo. So, you know, you got to stay mission focused and you got to study laser sharp on your task and what you're doing to get these boys to the X and get them off the X and get them back home safely. And that's, um, that's our major concern is, you know, the customers are tax getting them to where they need to go because um, no one else can get them there and then getting them home because, no one else can get them home. Well, you know, you're, you're describing, you know, complete detachment and, you know, and, and being in a helicopter, it adds something to that mission. It's not like being on boots on the ground or in a vehicle, you know, you're, you're actually suspended and you're moving at high speeds and, and shit's happening. So, yeah, I mean, the way you describe it, you know, you definitely can feel that type of de detachment and you have to stay focused. You know, it's a lot more, um, what seemed like to me would be a lot more intense. So tell us, so you were injured in the service and that's what brought it to the halt. Tell us about that. Okay. Yeah. So over time, unknowingly, really, all this is kind of going on. I'm just trying to carry on and I'm just trying to go and go and go. Uh, over time, my body just started wearing out and I became more unhealthy, more coffee, more Red Bull, more jerky on flights, you know, less less focus on being healthy, healthy choices. Um, and my body just started to deteriorate. And we went on a trip to uh, South America. And when we travel, we take helicopters with us. We take tools with us. We take things that we need and we stuff them in a C-17 and we fly to different locations and we unload them. We get them ready to fly, do missions, and then keep going. Um, in the process of doing this uh, down in South America, I came back um, loading up the helicopter, um, loading up ammunition and, uh, you know, am ammo for the miniguns, moving, um, blade poles for the, for the main rotor blades, kind of unfolding those, doing stuff like that. It, it put a lot of strain on my back and, uh, a little bit of street sleep, the stress, um, everything just kind of caught up to me. I wasn't really unaware of even what was going on and what was happening to me at the time. Um, but, uh, it just just broke my body down and uh, lifting the blade pull up for the blades. Um, my I just I just felt a crack in my back and it just kind of doubled me over. And for the about two almost almost two months, I tried to just continue on and just kind of hope it buffed out and just kind of hoped it. It was just like a sore muscle or strain strain muscle or something like that because this happened to me before. Um, so just kind of give it some time and take it easy, but it never went away. And I finally got to a point where I was doing a training mission with some pilots and uh, 
I had to remove the rescue dummy in uh, by myself, and it was, you know, for 200 pounds. Normally, it wouldn't be an issue, but uh, it was just, I was, I was struggling, and uh, I figured it's time to go get looked at. And the next day, the very first time I went to go get my back looked at, um, the, the flight doc, he told me, he goes, you know, people with back issues usually don't come out too good in this um, in this community. He goes, you know, we could be looking at some sort of a med board or something like that. And it just instantly, uh, that just rocked my world. I'm like, whoa, let's, let's not start talking about all this. Let's just, let's figure it out. Let's fix it. That way I can go. And I got, you know, I got work I need to do. We got, we got places to go. I, I can't, that's, that's, that's a no-go. Um, and come to find out, uh, I have, um, my, my lower vertebrae, my lowest vertebrae on my back. I don't have that back fan on my, my vertebrae anymore. And so I had bone on bone kind of like touching each other. So when I was hunched over in the back of the helicopter, pulling guys in or moving weight with the twisting motion, it was scraping off my nerves. And I also had three bolts discs in my back. So it caused me to be doubled over and hunched over for quite a while. I had to do physical therapy to be able to walk straight again. Um, and during that process, they, they wanted to uh, med board me out because um, it just, it wasn't working out. And I did the spinal shots in my back and it did nothing for me. And I didn't want to be stuck on pills. Um, so that, that wasn't, a, that wasn't a thing that I wanted to get down. So they said that uh, we're going to, we're going to medically retire you. So that's where my world kind of started going upside down. So, you know, obviously a shock, you know, but you have to take care of your body. You know, you mentioned some things about nutrition and, you know, being so mission focused and not focusing on your, on your own personal being obviously was not a good thing. So here you are 10 years time in service, you know, four years in the Coast Guard, six years in the Army multiple deployments and you talk about your world going upside down when you transition out did you get any kind of training or any kind of out brief or was it just kind of one day you're in and one day you're out what was that transition like for me it was it was really tough for me because i was in a community and an area where pretty much you know they eat their own and if you can't do the mission if you can't do anything then you need to get out of the way and you need to just not be there. And that was my life source. That was my pride. And that was my purpose in life is to just be there and, and do that. And I was, I loved it. And I, I just, I wanted to progress and I wanted to do more. I had so much more to learn like we always do, but uh, I was just, I was eager to, that was my life. Like that's what I wanted to do. That was where I wanted to be. It didn't work out. So what happened was during that transition, I, I kind of, I kind of felt like I got shunned um, and kind of outcast by my guys. Um, a, a lot of uh, a lot of naysayers just saying that you know I'm just kind of faking the funk and you know I, I'm just kind of copping out and that that really hurt my pride for a while and I was really focused on you know trying to figure out what is going on what am I going to do I had a house I had to sell my house we had to move um, you know what am I going to do next am I going to be able to work all these things are just kind of going through my mind um, while I'm going through that. So that, you know, that just kind of added more insult to the injury and throwing more salt on the wound. So it, um, it created a, a bad atmosphere, I guess, for, for me and that going through that process, that the med board process. Well, you know, so you, so you, obviously you got out, you eventually got out, you medically retired. And then, 
you know, you talked about how post-traumatic stress and depression set in and how it showed up to just beat the snot out of you and bury you. Tell us about you're out, you're doing these things. What's going on in your head? Well, I uh, before I got out, I got my airframe um, power plant license to be able to work on uh, aircraft through the FAA. So it's just basically a license saying that I can work on any aircraft um, as kind of like a fail-proof, you know, backup plan. And I loved helicopters, and I figured, you know, uh, aviation's around everywhere. I'll always be able to find a job, you know, if I have to get out, you know, working on aircraft. And I wound up getting a job working in Sweden, uh, a contract job with uh, Sikorsky, um, you know, doing maintenance on helicopters that they had over there and showing them how to all work on the new Mike model uh, Blackhawks that they had bought. And um, packed up and moved over there and stayed there for a little while. And I was uh, realizing that, man, I, I, I missed flying. I, I missed doing a lot of stuff. And at this time, I'm on medication for my anxiety and depression and sleeping. And it was difficult for me to get that medication over there in Sweden for a while. Uh, so I actually didn't take it. And um, I tried to get into working out. Um, I tried to do certain things. And at that time, at the very beginning part of my transition process, I was still in the mindset of I need to work out like, you know, a night stalker. So I would get healthy. I would kind of feel okay. And then I'd hurt myself because I'm going a million miles an hour instead of breaking myself in. So that added more to my, my issues. And I had more deep rooted issues than I was even aware of that I didn't even find out about until years later after all of that happened, just things just kind of came coming after the next, after the next and realizing that I'm not okay in my head. And there are some things that I really need to start figuring out how to work on. And um, over the next probably five years after that, I really hit rock bottom and a lot of things came tumbling down. And, and I, I came to the realization that I, I never really learned how to process emotions. And it may sound weird. It may sound kind of crazy, but as a child, I kind of developed like my fight or flight mechanism was constantly in, in flight. Like I constantly had to survive at a very young age because I dealt with a lot of abuse. I dealt with a lot of neglect. And I didn't realize it. I thought it was pretty normal, but I finally wound up talking to a doctor at the VA and kind of letting go of some pride and start looking into myself and trying to figure out, you know, okay, what's going on? And I realized there are so many more outside influences and things that were going on with me that I never even thought about thinking before in my life. I hear people talk about emotions and feelings and things that they're going through, but I couldn't even relate because I had no idea what that even meant. Well, you know, first of all, a couple, a couple things though, Mike, you know, first of all, you're not crazy. You're, you're like probably like 90% of the world out there. You just have the courage to admit it. And I can relate to some of that because of some of the things in my past coming along fight or flight, I can certainly relate to that. And, you know, dealing with post-traumatic stress at a young, young age, which, you know, they didn't even identify it back then, but I get mm -hmm. it, man. I get it, brother. And it does, you know, a lot of people think that you're weak if you reach out for help. And, and honestly, you're, you're, you're stronger when you could admit it and finally make the decision to work on yourself. So, you know, 
Kudos to you, man. That takes a lot of courage. It takes a lot of uh, introspection and it takes, you know, big cojones, you know, to realize you got to make some changes in your in your in your mental health. And, and that's the big buzzword these days, mental health. But it's true. You know, if that brain's not ticking, Mike's not ticking. If that if my brain's not ticking, John's not ticking. And and I had very similar deal, man. I mean, trying to deal with emotions that, you know, (laughs) we didn't know how to deal with feelings and emotions and what they mean and how deep that is. And so thank you for that and for sharing that. So you hit rock bottom, which is what happens to most of us. I get it. And, mm-hmm. and then you start to rebuild. You start to learn these techniques. You know, thank you. All I can say is thank you for pointing that out. And so you're getting back on track. You're knowing that that you got to get yourself right. Is there any, tell us what some of the things you did to get the brain and the mindset back on track. First and foremost, I, uh, I really just, there's a point in time where I, I remembered there was a, a situation when I first got to the special operations unit in the 160th, one of the very first things that I had to do was, congratulations, you're here. We have to do a funeral detail. And I'm like, oh, heck, I don't, what? Oh, okay. So I, I found out that there was a sergeant that, you know, committed suicide in front of his, his, his mom and his baby girl. Mm-hmm. And I had to do the funeral service for that. And I'm, I'm brand new I'm to the unit, and I'm just like, whoa, okay. And I'm like, all right, I'll, I'll do it. But going through the memorial service, seeing the family members, do, doing the actual funeral detail, taking the casket, doing all of that stuff, being actual there during those emotions, I was so mad. I was so angry. I, I didn't understand. I'm like, man, how can this person be so selfish? And how can these people do this stuff? And I was so just, I was infuriated. And so for many years, I just had absolutely zero respect for those people that had those issues. And I'm just like, man, you just got to suck it up. You just got to figure it out. And I, I didn't even know what I was doing, but I just knew that that wasn't an option. And quitting was just not an option. I, I, I was not even aware I, I had been there. Well, fast forward all these years and I come to my point of just absolute, I, I almost quit. I almost came to a point where like, I, I can't, I can't do this anymore. I, I don't, I don't even want to survive and I don't even live anymore. And I, I don't even want my family members and friends to waste emotions. I'm not even worthy to, have them waste emotions on me. Like I just wanted to just disappear. If I could just disappear, that would be what I wanted. And I knew right then at that point, thinking like that, that was a bad volatile state that I've never been in my, my entire life. And I had to go give my guns away. I had to go do all of that. And I was freaking out. I was crying. And what happened was I just shot down on my knees and I just, I asked God, I begged God to come into my life and say, God, if, 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 I'm supposed to be here. Please take over. Help me. Give me what I need. Show me what I need. Come into my life. Um, help me out. If not, then I need to go. And um, I was, uh, you know, just constantly saying this prayer, God, you know, please don't let my heart be troubled. And I said that for a few days, just nonstop. I was just, I was trembling. I was terrified. I know that scripture. It's, I think it's John fourteen three, somewhere around there. Let your heart be not yeah. troubled. 
thank you for that. And so I would just, I just said that just over and over and over. And so, um, as those, those heavy things in my life at that point, I started to kind of realize, all right, all right, I, I can't, there's too many people in my, in my life that I love. There's too many people that have paid the ultimate sacrifice. Um, I can't let them down. I, I have a second chance at life. I need to live life as if they were to get a second chance and they were to live it. And I, I just put all of that garbage aside. Um, I just started, you know, getting more in tune with my spirituality, finding God and allowing Jesus to come into my heart, into my life, um, accepting that and just accepting my failures as failures. And I just need to move on and let, let the past be the past and learn from it, look at it and use that as a tool and a stepping stone to get me to where I need to go where I don't have to be stuck in that as a ball and chain in a pit. So I started crawling myself out of that. And I started to, I immediately recognized that memorial service. And man, I just, I just broke down. I was in tears and I was just like, man, I know exactly where that guy's at now. And I started over months, a couple months went by and things were coming around and um, I was doing all right. And I went from, uh, you know, not having a job, almost, you know, being homeless to having an apartment, having a job, I'm getting back on track and, uh, people are starting to see, you know, man, this guy's even on social media, you can see people's patterns and you can see things. And I, I've had a lot of ups and downs and kind of crazy moments. And, um, people could see, uh, see that. And all of a sudden, you know, people are like, Mike, you know, you're, you're different, you know, and after a year, people are coming up to me like, Mike, you know, what are you doing? What, what are you, what are you doing? And they're veteran friends of mine that come up to me and ask me, you know, Mike, what have you done? I, I need what you got. And there was just so many people that like reaching out to me, asking, you know, what do I do? And, and seeing people going through stuff. And it's just, it makes me cry just at random times thinking about how many people that are out there, how many veterans that are out there that are just lost or struggling with things. And, me opening up, just talking about my crap that I've been through in life, listening to these people, being just being able to relate and just telling them, you know, it's going to be okay. You're, you're going to be okay. I'm right here. I went through my crap. You're going to go through your crap. It's going to be okay. And just, you know, kind of be with them for a few days, talk with them, share some stuff, listen to them. And, and it just, it really opened up my eyes and my heart to uh, really want to help more and do more. And understanding and, and seeing that sharing my story really helps other people kind of have hope, um, you know, that if, you know, this guy can go through it, you know, maybe I can go through it or help them realize, you know, maybe someone else might have a little bit worse off than I do. Maybe I can figure it out. And, um, you know, those are, those are those little things, those little nuggets that we need. And everyone just wants to be loved and accepted in some way, shape or form, no matter how, where, why, what. That's all everyone's looking for, whether they even really realize it or not. Yeah, that's true. And, and you know, and the, but the biggest thing, and you know this, Mike, I know you know this, man, that love and acceptance starts inside first. And absolutely, you know, when, when we can, you know, when we sound, it sounds so cliche at times, but, we, you know, we hear about self love and it doesn't mean arrogant haughtiness. It means really yeah. you yourself as a person appreciating who you are and recognizing the weaknesses, but also recognizing the great strengths. And then the self-forgiveness, forgiving yourself for the stupid shit you may have done. 
and 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 forgiving people that may have done stuff to you. So I know that where this is leading to. This is how Noble Warriors got started. Tell us about it. Absolutely. So just over time, you know, just sharing my story with people, you know, finding a church, you know, just kind of learning more about my spiritual side, learning more about the warrior aspect of how spirituality works, learning more about you know, just myself and letting go and 100% loving yourself is huge. And it is, it, you're right. It's not a prideful type of love because if you can't love yourself, you can't, you can't love anything else. And people have an understanding of what love is, but there are different levels and types of love and uh, different intimacy uh, levels. You know, intimacy just isn't, um, you know, a sexual kind of type of thing. It's just the depth and the, the, the understanding of that type of love and intimacy with that person and that connection. But what it is, is I just, I, I wanted to reach out and do and give something. And I wanted to do something and create something to kind of help veterans specifically realize their potential and realize what they have inside of them and to kind of, you know, move on and to kind of understand certain things that they may not have really understood or even realized that they were going through. The website's wearenoblewarriors.com? Correct. I get it. I mean, I get it. I mean, and there you go, man. What you've done is you've taken your painful experiences from when you were a boy all through your military career and other things that you had to learn in your early, earlier adolescence. And that's pretty cool, mm-hmm. Mike. You know, there's, you know, to be able to take those types of life experiences and turn them around and you are a noble warrior because when you can do that to me, man, that is the most beautiful testimony of humanity that anybody can display. You take your own hardships, you're dealing with them in your own manner, the best you can. You taught, you said it earlier, survival, and then you've turned it around into a platform for others to, to, to latch on to for hope. And man, I did the same thing. I, I called a crisis center on a really bad day. And uh, when everything yeah. around me was crumbling. And the one thing that I like that you have pointed out is that the spiritual side of it and the belief in Jesus Christ and God, you know, and I totally agree with you. I align myself <laughs> the same way. And without that, I would be in a world of shit. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, without that, I would be nothing. And, you know, it's, it's kind of neat that the more you grow with it, the more you understand and kind of the more see how things work is that there's, there's something so much greater out there. And when you're kind of in that place and that funk, there's no hope. There's nothing greater. There's nothing. There seems to be no end. And with this and my belief in God and my belief in Jesus is something just so much greater something that created everything and something that can, you know, just take, if he can create everything, you know, why wouldn't he be able to kind of help you come out of your funk? Why would he not want to do that? Why would not a father want to take care of their children? And obviously a lot of them don't, but he is the greatest. He is love. And his example is perfect love. And for me, understanding that and being able to love myself and to love others more and accept others for who they are um, was really big. And just having that as, um, you know, a mindset for Noble Warrior and to be able to, I just, I wanted to share my things that it was very uncomfortable 
it was very weird and, and nerve wracking. And, um, you know, I, I still got so much more to share and, uh, there's a lot more stuff that I'm going to start putting back out of my podcast, but you know, I want to, I just want to get that uncomfortableness and just share my vulnerability with people and just let people know like, Hey, you know, you're not the only one, you know, there's, there's other people out there that are struggling with this too, you know, get a hold of me, you know, contact me, give me a call, shoot me an email, let me know, talk to me, what's going on with you. You know, maybe, you know, maybe that's all it takes. And it's happened. I've had so many people reach out to me and just be like, Hey Mike, you know, they tell me what's going on. And then the next day they're like, hey, Mike, I thank you so much. You know, this changed my life or this changed my outlook on things. And I just, I, I mean, I, and it's not prideful because I'm not, I'm not impressive by any means. I'm not an impressive person. There's so many cooler people out there that do so much cooler stuff, but I just, I want to make an impact on somebody, even if it's just one person. Yeah. You know what though, Mike, you are, man. I don't think, I think coolness can be, actually, man, you are pretty cool. So, you know, forget the way the world wants us to be cool. You're pretty cool. And exactly. One thing that's interesting, man, that we want to point out both of us as noble warriors, now that I've joined the Legion, it's not easy because if it was easy, everybody would be walking around loving themselves and loving each other. And I don't mean like you said, the creepy kind of love, real pure love. Yeah. So, you know, anybody Mm -hmm. out there listening to Mike and myself, this is not easy. It's tough to look at that person in the mirror. And, and I know we've, you know, one part of my own healing process was to say to that person in the mirror, Hey man, I love you. You know, and it's like you're looking around to see who's watching, you know, you're by yourself, but, but, but you're so, you have to love yourself first. And like you said, Jesus was humiliated the way he was and what perfect love that he still had that gift. And, and you're doing the same thing, man. So, you know, don't ever say you're not cool. You're pretty damn cool in my book. So thank you for that. (laughs) I appreciate that. I appreciate that, brother. And, you know, my, my mindset with that is, you know, nothing grows in comfort. And, uh, you know, that's, that's kind of been my mantra. You know, I, I don't want to be completely just out of comfort because we're creatures of comfort. You know, you know we, we, we like stuff like that. But at the same time, we can't continually stay in that and expect to grow. Well, you know, you can. And that's great, Mike, that you point that out, because in a world of self-gratification and instant success, right? What, what does that mean? And then the minute you, yeah. you, you, the minute you have a failure, somehow you're a failure because this whole world sometimes that doesn't seem real. Everybody else is having such a great time. Oh, look, they're having a sandwich in downtown San Francisco and they're having a blast. Well, life isn't always hunky dory. And when we create this illusion that you got to be happy and self gratified 24 seven, I think, man, and you and I've had this discussion offline. I think that it creates more anger and resentment and frustration and more self-limiting beliefs. And it really makes for an unhealthy world. I mean, so to speak. I agree 100%. And what what it is, is people are out there, that guy that's posting that sandwich and that's going to these coffee shops, man, that's what that guy loves to do. And, you know, maybe he works his butt off to do that. And he does that in between and that's his little break, you know, and then, someone sees that and they're like, man, I I wish I could go get me a sandwich. I wish I could get that coffee. This guy posts that all the time. But in in retrospect, that's not his reality. That's not what he does. You know, that's not what he makes him truly happy. You know, he might want a sandwich. Yeah. 
but there might be some other steps that he needs to take to get that sandwich. There might be some things that actually might make him more happy than having that stupid sandwich. And, you know, it's, we get so caught up on looking at what other people are doing. We can't see what we're doing and what's going on in our own life. So that creates this huge false reality in this virtual world that these people are living in, that we're living in. And, you know, we don't understand how we work. We don't understand what makes us tick. We don't understand ourselves. So we, we fall apart and we don't, we can't, we don't know how to listen to ourselves because we're just so filled with everyone else. True. So let me ask you a couple things. What do you want the civilian world to know about combat veterans in particular? And this is going to hit you with some things. So what do you want somebody who's struggling to know? Somebody that's transitioning to know. So civilians, people in a dark place, what does freedom mean to you? And then how can people get a hold of you, Mike? Four things, man. <laughs> okay. First of all, uh, the civilian aspect. Before we even become people of the military, law enforcement, first responders, before our lives change, we're civilians in a sense. So we decide to take an oath, to take a pledge, to make a stand for something different, be it a better pay, a better life, better purpose, better direction, whatever the case is. We're still humans. We're still one team. It doesn't matter what your color is. It doesn't matter what your religion is. It doesn't matter what your sexual preference is. It's nothing. We're humans. Man, woman, boy, girl, join the military. You do those things. You transform. You change. You see things. You see things that other people can't see. You see things that other people can't understand. And you go through things. And even if you don't become a combat vetted um, individual, you go overseas and you're in a combat zone, your life still changes. You're completely disrupted and taken away from things and your life changes. And when you come back home, it's different. You're missing out on some things. You're missing out on family time. You're missing out on those creature comforts that we love. And, um, you know, we're still humans and we learn to become more resilient as we're doing things and as we're learning this stuff. So, you know, we're valuable, um, individuals and uh, each person is uniquely individual we're, we're completely different we have our own thumbprints not one person has the exact same thing and we all put our signature on things even if we do the same thing it's different in certain ways so my thing to civilians um, or businesses or companies or just regular people just regular joes and jades just hanging out there is to just recognize that these people have gone through certain things um, that maybe you haven't, but so what? It doesn't make them any better or any less. Yes, there are those cocky, arrogant people, but um, you know, there's good seeds and bad seeds with anything, be it military, law enforcement, good or bad. Nothing um, is going to be the same after you go through certain stuff. So, absolutely not. I, I guess going back to that is, you know, just recognize that you know we're still people. We still have emotions. We still have these things. We might not share the same stories. We might not share the same beliefs, but we're still people. We're still humans. We still want that love. We still want that acceptance, but we have tools. We have very unique tools and to not just throw these people out. Just don't throw these veterans out. Just count these veterans out because you think that they may have that thousand yard stare and they might snap or, or be offended at something like that because that's not the case. And, you know, you, uh, you, you shine something up and you put some effort and energy into something, you know, sometimes 
you're you're going to be uh, you're going to be surprised at what you get putting some effort and energy into a veteran or someone that's gone through a lot of stuff. They're they're going to show you what they're capable of doing. That's a good answer, and you know it's a it's a definitely some great insight and a great message to those civilians. And so I'm a I'm a transitioning veteran. I'm in a dark place. What am I going to do? You're transitioning. You're going through a dark place. Uh, there's so many of us that have gone through those things. The biggest thing that I could possibly give to someone or people or a group of people is to just recognize that it's okay to feel that way. 100% your feelings are valid. If you're scared, if you're having trouble, if you're a financial mess, um, if someone's just going to run off with all of money, whatever the situation is. It's okay to feel overwhelmed. It's okay to feel scared. It's, o- it's okay to want to just run away and just give up everything and to quit. It's okay to want to feel that way, but it's not okay to quit. Quitting is not an option. When you go through training, when you go through things, Navy SEALs, Delta operators, top tier guys, alphabet agencies, they go through training. And when they come out, they might go do missions one or two at a time. But when they go through training, it takes thousands upon thousands of people to get them to that level. No Navy SEAL can swim and go out there by himself and do all that training by himself. People get him there. So when you're out there all alone and you're sitting there swimming, remember that. Remember those Navy SEALs. Remember those Delta operators. Remember those awesome guys that you think that are just so hardcore and so badass. They're not badass by themselves. They will never be badass by themselves. There's always someone else behind them getting them there or motivating them or pushing them or helping them out. No one else. We're, we're not, we, we can't, we are not capable of surviving by ourselves. That's not the way we are. We might like to be by ourselves and isolate ourselves, but that's when things get really bad is when we isolate ourselves. So that's the biggest thing that I could give to someone. Don't isolate yourself because we're not designed to be alone. And when we're supposed to, uh, reach out and touch and, and get somebody and ask for help. It's okay to do that. It, it's okay to ask for that because uh, it, it doesn't make you a weaker person to ask for that. It honestly actually makes you a stronger person to recognize that and ask for that. Great advice. So Mike, what does freedom mean to you? Freedom to me means just happiness, joy, love, being able to experience those and express those on such an insane level without any disruption and to be uh, thankful and grateful for those that have paid the price for me to have that freedom because freedom, there's a price to pay for freedom. You can't just watch TV. You have to earn money and go buy a TV to get it in order to watch it. You have to go pay the cable company or whatever you are using to get that cable, to get that TV show, to watch that. That, that might be like your little freedom. That might be your, your ticket from your stressful situation. You know, your, your freedom ticket might be going out camping and getting away from everything. You know, how do you get that? There, there's a price to pay. And if you look into it deeper, you know, who provides the safety and the comfort for those things to happen without any intrusion, without any interruption, without anybody coming in bad mouthing you, slandering you, shooting at you, doing all that stuff. There's, there's a deeper level to having all of those comforts and those things that we enjoy. And, uh, I have, 
uh, you know, put friends and brothers in the ground that have paid the ultimate sacrifice for that freedom. Jesus Christ paid the ultimate sacrifice for me, for my freedom, for my sins. He paid that. It's not just something that is given. We aren't just, we just don't earn that. That's, that's something that's, uh, we're just not given that, you know, we, we, it's, it's something that is paid for by someone else and given to us and handed down. And it's up to us to be able to recognize that and pass that information on and to be aware of that while we're accepting or in, and believing and living in that freedom. Nicely put, I like the way you said that. And so how can people contact you, Mike, find out more information about wearenoblewarriors.com and, you know, let us know how they can reach you. Yeah, got a website set up, wearenoblewarriors.com. And uh, I got a little bit of uh, information on the mission, what, what I'm looking to do. And I'm in the beginning stages of, of getting all this stuff set up. And uh, I'm looking to grow and expand and create a community to have other veterans get together and help out other veterans. I mean, what other uh, way to to best suit veterans is to help veterans. You know, we take, we take care of our kind the best. And um, uh, I have a section on there on my website of contact us to be able to get a hold of me on email, um, on my social media. I'm uh, NSDQ, Nightstalkers Don't Quit, underscore Mike. Um, get a hold of me on my social media. I try to post stuff on there and healthy mindset kind of type of spiritual growing things. Also Noble Warrior on Instagram and Facebook. I, I post stuff there. You can get a hold of me there. You can reach me, email there. You know, if not me, someone else, absolutely. But uh, there, there's always going to be someone around that's willing to put an ear out. You know, if it's not Noble Warrior, if it's not me, if it's not you, it's someone. There, there's there's someone that you can reach out to and someone wants to help out. There's a lot of people that want to help out, but uh, no one can help us. And, you know, they don't know that you need help. Well, I got to tell you, Mike, I appreciate your time here today. You know, here you have, we have Mike Frazier, 10-year Coast Guard and Army veteran uh, who has been in the abyss, pulled himself up out of it, the founder and the creator of WeAreNobleWarriors.com. Is there a, a parting shot you'd like to say for this first interview? Maybe a mantra or a scripture that you live by that you want people to know? I'm going through scripture myself, and I'm I'm learning how how God works in my life, and and you know how to to live better. I guess my mantra, my way of thinking is, you know, nothing grows in comfort, and just mindset, and how important mindset is to pull yourself out of that hole, and it takes effort. It just doesn't happen. Uh, and nothing will change unless you want it to. When you want things to happen, when you want things in life, you put effort into doing it. And when you recognize you're worth it, you're worth your love, you're worth your time, and you're worth the effort and energy to put in and invest in yourself, you realize that you'll start making things happen and things things change, things grow. And that's been huge for me and that's changed my life and, and I'm worth it and I love myself. And, and you're pretty cool too, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I appreciate that. You know, and I got a lot more cool to get. And, uh, you know, I just, I just want to help some people out there so that, you know, if, if anything, you know, when you get something, be a, be blessed, you know, grow yourself, learn yourself, train yourself, understand, get some knowledge, um, build yourself into, you know, a noble warrior, get healthy, get strong, and then bless someone else, help someone else out. And that's, that's an amazing feeling. It's just in itself to be able to help someone out and 
just to get a hug or a high five or just a thanks. It's huge for me. That's so true. Well, I appreciate you, Mike, a a great deal. I'm glad you joined us today to share your story and uh, look forward to meeting you in person someday. And just got to tell you, man, God bless. Drive on. Night Stalkers, don't quit. You got me motivated. I'm ready to go out there and do some stuff and help and bless other people any way I can. So thank you for being on Straight Outta Combat. Thank you for having me on Straight Outta Combat. I really appreciate it, John. Take care. God bless yourself. Night Stalkers, don't quit. And I uh, come up to Virginia, man. Let's hang out. Let's let's get something happening. Be careful what you wish for, brother. Thank you, man. Keep going. If you need anything on our end, just let me know. Will do, brother. I absolutely will do. Take care. All right, you do. You gotta light them up before they burn it down. Thank you for listening to another episode of Straight Out of Combat Radio, audio medicine from Green Zone Hero. If you liked what you heard, then tell others about us. Like us and download us. And please remember, freedom is not free, and combat veterans are vital assets. They're not broken.